It was a troubling time. The leadership was wicked, self-interested. Common sense morality just seems like it had been tossed out the window. Religion and, and worship even got watered down and weird. People took advantage of one another. Factions were emerging within society. Greed and pride and even sexual abuse was was happening. It also seemed like the rich got richer while the, the poor suffered. What a terrible time. What a terrible state of affairs. I'd love to know what's going through your minds right now about what I'm describing. <laughs> well, what I'm describing there is the situation among God's people, among God's chosen people, Israel. In the Old Testament, in the writing of the time of the writing of Amos, Israel was this this nation had had a special covenant relationship with with God. He had chosen them from among the nations that he would have a covenant, have an agreement, have a, a bond with this nation that they would be a light to the nations. But to some degree, as I gave that description of events, maybe we're tempted in some ways to think that that describes our own time, our own cultural moment, our own situation in some ways. As we encounter this book, as we encounter the Bible, we may be surprised to discover a couple of things. Uh, In one sense, we may be surprised to discover that ancient society, and and this is a collection of ancient writings inspired by God, ancient society, even God's chosen Israel, was pretty messed up at times. But we may also be surprised to discover that in many ways, many years later, We haven't come that far. If you've been following with us in this this sermon series so far in this new year, we've been in the book of Amos. And um, Amos is a a minor prophet tucked away in in, in the back of your Old Testament there. And Amos was a farmer. Amos was a a, a shepherd, a, a, a common man called by God on a mission to prophesy Israel. And so Amos is a farmer. He's a shepherd. He's also from Judah. Judah at this, at this time was the, the southern portion, the southern kingdom of God's, the land that God's people had inherited. So he was coming from Judah, and yet he was called by God to go to the northern kingdom, to go to this sister kingdom to the north, and to prophesy against it, for her sins had grown strong and serious. And Amos is prophesying in and around 760 B.C. to to give us an idea. And so as we look at the text of Amos, we see that far from being this light to the nations that Israel was called to be, they had royally failed to hold up their end of the deal, their end of the covenant with God. Things had gone off the rails. But what I want to look at this morning, which I think speaks to us today even, is what do we do in troubling times? What do we do in troubling times? And I think that our text here in Amos 5 is going to help us 
address that. And so before we look at the word, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its timelessness, that it speaks to us. Thank you for the testimony that we see there of your commitment to your people in spite of themselves. We thank you, God, for your commitment to us in spite of us at times. So we pray, Lord, that whatever you have for us, whatever part you would like us to see ourselves in this story, Lord, would you open our eyes, open our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, earlier in Amos, if, if you've been following along, and if you haven't, this will serve as a, a, a bit of a, a way to get you up to speed. But earlier in Amos, God has, has brought charges against the nations around Israel. The, these were nations that Israel was sometimes in, in conflict with or uh, at, at war with. And so, but God calls out their sins. They're just crimes against humanity. They're disregard for, for human life. And then the circle gets a little tighter as we move farther into chapter 1 and into chapter 2. And the focus moves to nations that are a bit more closely related to Israel. And so you have places like Moab and and Edom, and and the prophet calls out their sins and God's warning to them. And then it gets a little bit tighter, and Amos prophesies against Judah, against the southern kingdom, against Israel's sister kingdom, to the south. And by this point, Israel might think that they're off the hook. But of course, as we see, Israel then gets on the hot seat. And Amos prophesies against Israel's sins and prophesies God's judgment that is to come against her. And ultimately, that's what carries us through the rest of this book, book of Amos. Chapter 4, which is we're, we're picking up the text in chapter 5, but just to give you an idea of what happens in kind of the intervening material there, because we last preached out of chapter 2, and then we're skipping to 5. But in chapter 4, we see just different warning signs that God sends them, different judgments that God has sent them to try to get their attention, to try to stir their attention, to get them to turn to him in hunger and thirst and famine and plague. And God carries these out over a number of years, but the nation doesn't turn. They keep going off the rails and they ignore the signs. But this morning, as we've seen, we're going to pick up in Amos 5. And here the intensity goes one step further. What we see here is a, we're in the middle of what scholars call a covenant lawsuit. This is a covenant lawsuit, a common form of of writing and and prose in some of these Old Testament books. And in this lawsuit, imagine a court setting. And in this setting, Israel is the defendant. And then God is pictured calling witnesses against Israel for her sins. But God is also pictured as the judge. He's the only one who can uphold justice and righteousness. And so he sits as the judge. And so in this lawsuit, Israel is charged, as we see in the text, for her failures to uphold the law. And so in chapter 5, the intensity turns up, and we're given a picture of what's going to happen, a picture of the aftermath of this judgment that will await the nation of Israel. What will be the result? How will Israel be seen after this? And the the first thing we see in, in our text 
is that God pulls no punches to try to get their attention. God pulls no punches to try to get their attention. And so join with me as we look at Amos 5, verses 1 through 3. It says, hear this word, Israel, this lament that I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. And this is what the sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will have only a hundred left. And your town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. So the prophet comes in strong. The prophet comes right in to show them what the results of the judgment that would be that would come upon the nation. God is, is pictured that he will pass through their midst. And that was not good news for them. That was not favorable in this situation. That was judgment. That was fire. That was destruction. We notice in those verses the third person's used. So, so someone's lamenting about virgin Israel. And somebody's lamenting about how she's deserted in her own land. And so the picture we have here is like what these nations around Israel would be seeing. The, the carnage that would, they would look down and see. These are the nations around and what, what they will notice about Israel. It will appear to them and to the rest of the world like Israel's got no hope. There's no future, it seems. There's armies had suffered devastating losses. What will happen to this nation, this promised nation? Maybe think about it this way. If this works for you, think of a, a high stakes football game. Think of like the AFC championship game, for example. Against all the odds, against all the predictions, the Patriots are down 50 points with six minutes left to play in the game. Of course, there's going to be some disillusioned Patriots fans who want to beat the traffic out of the stadium. So they just start streaming out of the stadium. It's a lost cause. Their heads are held low, shocked, disappointed, discouraged, and they stream out of the stadium. But 10,000 Tennessee Titans fans are staying in the, in the stands, glorying in their team's performance, looking down at just what has occurred, the massacre that has occurred. And they, they can't not watch what's going on. They, 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 they love that their team is continuing, to touch, the quarterback continues to throw touchdowns and continues to connect with receivers, and they're breaking up all the rushing and they're breaking up all the passing. It's a massacre. While the Patriots are looking beaten up, your team, perhaps, could play three more quarters. So you're wondering, what happened? What happened? What a, what a surprise. What a, a shock. Well, of course, in a far more consequential way than an NFL game, Israel here is pictured devastated. The nations and, and Israel's own people are wondering, what happened? Is there hope? Is there a future for us? Could we recover from this? Well, to add to the heaviness for us, we're given a further picture of what this will look like when God pours out his judgment. And we look now at verses 16 through 17, the end of our section, 
It says, therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. And there will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. The picture here is that there's going to be such carnage, such devastation, such loss of human life that there won't be enough professional mourners. In the ancient world, mourners would be hired by a family grieving a loss to come in and mourn. They took this very seriously, but there wouldn't be enough of those to go around, so they got to bring in the farmers from the fields to create enough wailing in the land. And so it's striking imagery here. God pulls no punches to get their attention. A, a nation which had such promise just fell apart and seems to be disappearing into oblivion. So imagine the scene. Imagine Amos, prophet Amos, the shepherd, the farmer who God says, go to, go to the northern kingdom. Imagine the scene. Amos was likely at one of Israel's you know, places of false worship, one of their false temples, which they flocked to, or, or at some other public venue where people would be in earshot. And you know, some would just brush past Amos, right? He's just a wacky street preacher. You know, just go about their business, brush right past him. But others would probably pay attention. M- maybe some of the poor who were, who were lying in the streets, destitute, victims of the sin of the nation, maybe they would perk up and listen and pay attention. Maybe others who just had a real hunger and a thirst for righteousness and justice, those who knew that things weren't the way they were supposed to be, maybe they would lean in to listen to the prophet. Just imagine the scene. Some received him, some dismissed him. So the opening of this section of our text and the closing are striking. They're attention-getting to those who would listen and pay attention. But then the other thing that we see is that after God attempts to capture their attention through the prophet, God extends mercy and invites the only proper response for the nation. Picking up verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord says to Israel, Seek me and live. Don't seek Bethel, do not go to Gilgal, do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them and and Bethel will have no one to quench it. So what's the command here? The command here that we see repeated is to seek the Lord. Don't seek false gods, false temples, false worship. Seek the Lord. The the prophet names Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba. And these were all popular cultic centers within the kingdom. Some of them were in the southern kingdom, some were in the north. but, But Israelites flocked to these places to perform empty religious practice. It kind, of, it kind of mirrored what was happening in the pagan world around them. And so God was grieved by this because what happened there was not honoring to God. It was ritual. It was sacrifice. It was religiosity. But it was not obedience. It was not godliness. It was not love for neighbor. This was idolatry. 
if, if God would caution us today as a church, God might say, don't look to Wall Street. Don't look to Silicon Valley. Don't look to Hollywood. Don't look to Men's Health Magazine, Women's Health Magazine. Don't look to Better Homes and Gardens. Don't look to Boston sports teams even. Because what was happening was the nation, and we in our own hearts have a tendency to do this too, is to find fulfillment, to find meaning, to find purpose, to find allure in things outside of God. And none of these are bad things. I love sports. I love entertainment. I love money. It's nice to have resources. But the point is, have they captured our hearts? Have they captured our attention? Have we made them ultimate things? In verses 7 through 10, as we move through the text, we, we see a, a comparison of sorts. We, we notice, I'm not going to read the whole text, but we notice a you and we notice a he. And so what we have here is two rebukes of Israel sandwiching a description of the creator God, the sovereign God. So on the one hand, we have Israel, sinful Israel, with her sin, with her failure to keep the covenant. Uh, Israel, who despises the very thing that she was established to uphold. And then on the other hand, we have, we have God, we have the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sovereign one, the, the, the upholder of justice and righteousness, the one who sustains all things by the word of his power. The prophet names Pleiades and Orion, two constellations. And it's interesting because th- those were... Uh, in the ancient world, some societies were worshiping things like that, natural wonders in the heavens. And the prophet is saying that these false gods, Israel, that you're trying to worship, Pleiades, Orion, all the rest that the pagan world is running after, yeah, God created those things. So worship God, not the created things. And so it was not looking good for Israel. Verses 11 through 15, as we continue to cruise through, is just another reminder of Israel's sins. And we've become somewhat familiar with them as we've gone through this book. Exploitation of the poor, taking advantage of one another, lack of integrity, lack of justice in the courts. These were all the things that Israel's being held accountable for here. But we notice, we notice that God is making it very clear to them. God's not holding out on them. God couldn't be more clear. He's not keeping them in the dark about their transgressions. He's calling them out and prophesying his judgment for them. So again, chapter 5, we've, we've got this striking, startling, troubling imagery. And for any Israelite who was paying attention, these were strong warnings for those that wanted to listen. But then we see that God invites them to the only proper response in that time, and that was to seek me and live. Hate evil, love good, seek me and live. It's a heavy text. It's a heavy book. But it's in here, and so we have to preach it. But what do we do with it? What do we take from a heavy text like this. Well, I, I would say to you, firstly, that it, books like Amos, especially, and other prophets, 
and really the whole testimony of Scripture, as we reflect on it, shows us the heart of God. Shows us the heart of God. So God was grieved by their empty religiosity. God was grieved by the fact that they took advantage of one another. God was grieved by the fact that they would use authority, power, the institutions of their society for their own self-interest. He was grieved by the fact that they prided themselves on what their own hands had built, the wealth that their own hands had amassed, rather than acknowledging God's blessing. And so we see God's heart, right? We see what he cares about. And there's many ways that we can apply that to our lives, to our situations, and to our decisions, and to our activities throughout the week. Thinking about what authority has God given you, and how are you using it? Thinking about what's caught your attention, caught your heart, if other than God. And of course, we see as we look at the life of Jesus in the New Testament that he embodies the same character. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we see Jesus, we see God as well. We see the heart of God. We see Jesus reaching out to the least of these. And we see him calling for obedience and commanding that we love God and love our neighbor. And so we, so we see God's heart first. But then secondly, to circle back to the question that I had for us at the beginning, I believe we get something of an answer for what are we to do in troubling times? Does anybody know some troubling times? How about when we, when we realize that there's just evil around us? How about not just around us? How about when we realize the evil within us, the brokenness, the sin within us? What are we to do when there's strife, divisiveness, just things swirling in in our world? What about greed and pride and violence and all these heavy things? Well, I think from Amos 5, we see that God calls us to seek him and live. Seek him and live. In Amos, God was calling a remnant. God was calling a remnant of people who would be faithful to him, who would repent and and turn to him. So in in the Hebrew mind, in the Hebrew scriptures of which Amos is a part, repentance is a change of direction. So so, so imagine you're, you're pointed this way. You're on this path towards death and making sinful decisions and walking a path towards death. Repentance is this. Walking a path towards life, godliness, pursuing God, pursuing life in him. God's calling some people to do that in the book of Amos. And God's calling some people to do that today. As the people of faith imagine that directional. We have to constantly course correct as the people of God. You know, even if we're not just running away from God, even if we're not running away from godliness, we ask ourselves, God, where is anxiety causing me to veer? You know, where is idolatry causing me to to veer? Where where is fear causing me to veer? Where, Where are the pleasure of this world causing me to veer from the course that you've called me? And the other reality is that in this country that we live, we've got a lot of resources to pull at us, and to just cause us to orbit God. We, we've got technology and money and information and 
ample food and, and clothing, material resources, all, all of these things. And so we just be tempted to grasp for these things, to run after these things, but these things cannot provide solutions or to deal with our greatest needs. And so ultimately, as a people of God, to navigate this life well, we have to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and live. What does it mean to seek the Lord? How do we seek the Lord? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked this morning. Uh, To me, uh, to seek the Lord is to seek his voice over and above the rest of the voices. And so to not, to not seek an ideology, to not seek a narrative, to not seek the voices of social media or, or the pundits on the news, but we're to seek the Lord because in him is, is life. There's three ways we do that. At least. Probably more. But for our purposes here, the first of those is that we get under the word of God. We get under the word of God. Our former pastor, Brian, would, would often do this as a symbol. What does this tell us? What does this show us? This shows us that this is above us. We are not above it. This is the authority. That I don't pick and choose what I like out of this book. It's not just good advice. It's the word of God. It's written revelation of God to us. And so we get under it. This is the proper posture for us. And it's a gift. It's a gift to us. What an amazing gift. God's written revelation. We see his heart, his character, his purposes, his plans. And it's a gift to us. Another way that we seek the Lord is by listening to the voice of God through prayer, through conversation with him, through the Holy Spirit. And Sometimes we need a reminder, I don't know about you, but sometimes I need a reminder that if you trust Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you love Jesus, you've got the Spirit of God in you. The Spirit of God in you. That's amazing. That's amazing. So Jesus promised that this Spirit of God that lives within us, if if we've said yes to Jesus and follow him and are full of his life, Jesus said, my Spirit will lead you into all truth. My spirit will remind you of everything that I have said. The the spirit testifies to the character of God, to the heart of God, to the voice of God, to the purposes of God. And so we press in, believing that God wants to speak to us. And so your confusion, your questions, your doubts, whatever it may be, you can bring those to him. Present those to God. But then... We need the discipline to wait and listen. Third way we seek the Lord is by gathering with other believers to discern together, to wrestle together, to challenge each other, to encourage each other. And, and you know, I fully, I'm fully aware that's a little trickier these days, right? Where we can't circle up together. And I so long for that, as I know many of you do. Uh, but but we, still, we still have ways to connect. We're still doing virtual groups. You know, this is one of the reasons that Free Christian Church does small groups, which we've, you know, largely pivoted online, and, and, and they're really serving people and helping people in this time. And so this is one of the reasons we have small groups. And we're guided by texts like Hebrews 3.13, 
which says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We're also informed by texts like Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, as we, all the more as we long for the return of Jesus and the imminent return of Jesus. And so we seek the Lord and live by getting under his word, by pressing in to hear his voice above all the other voices, and by growing alongside of the people of God. Well, I confess to you this morning that some of the time I don't do a very good job seeking the Lord. But because I'm up here preaching, I'm going to share with you one bright spot from the past week, because I can do that. Well, I, you know, I, I'm wired to like to understand, you know, the, the, the times, to try to interpret what's going on, to try to feel kind of somewhat confident about what to believe and what to think about our cultural moment. And, you know, I like to know the different viewpoints and, 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 and what's being said. But last week, after the uh, attack on the Capitol, wow, almost two weeks ago now, you know, I just kind of came to the end of myself that day. I just, you know, I couldn't explain that. I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of, of that, really. And, and so I, it, it was in the evening that day, and I was going around picking up toys in our house, which is our routine with little kids at the end of the day. And, I, you know, I just found myself bringing that to God. Like, God, what, what do I make of this? What is your heart? What are you saying? What do you want me to believe about this? So I just felt the weight of confusion and, you know, and just the weight of just when nothing makes sense. And I felt the Lord speak to me in that moment. And he said, then do what makes sense. Worship me. Then do what makes sense. Worship me. Well, I'm going to tell you that for the last 10 days or so, I've just been writing that word. You know, the the, the comfort of God, the kindness of God, that he would would give that to me in that moment. When everything's dark and confusing, it's a word of life. That's a word of life to me. And of course, I'm going to get stuck again. We all get stuck. Of course, we're going to get in ruts. So we continue to press in. We continue to seek the Lord. But he has words of life for us. In Amos, God was merciful to tell the people how they could respond to him. Seek the Lord and live. And whether or not these people responded appropriately, that was on on them. But God sent a prophet. How much clearer could he be? Well, God invites us to respond too. And for some of us this morning, the first step of response in seeking the Lord is is to turn to him in faith. You see, this book, which we're navigating our way through, this book tells us a few things. This book tells us that God created a a good world, a, a world which he loved, a world which was to reflect his glory, and man which was to reflect his glory. But this world and its people entered into sin. 
And so we've broken the law of God, just like the Israelites. And Amos tells about a coming judgment that would happen. Just a few decades later, the Assyrian Empire would come and overwhelm their land and conquer their land and deport their people across its empire. We too are going to face judgment one day at the second coming when God and Jesus, Jesus returns to judge the world. And we'll be judged on our response to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus, to what we've done with this message and the fruit of it in our lives. And the reality is that in that day, on that day, we're helpless to save ourselves. But God sent the solution. Jesus Christ, the righteous one who died for our sins so that we may have life and be forgiven. And so for some of us, the step of faith is to respond to that. To say yes to that. I believe that. I'll follow you, Jesus, in this life. Others of us in this room, probably the majority, no doubt, have been following Jesus for a long time. Trusting Jesus, loving him, navigating life with him. And for us, for you, if that's you, still the only proper response is to seek the Lord and live. And so are you listening to the word of God? to the voice of God? Are you pressing in? Are you turning off media? Are you turning off the noise and pressing in to hear from God? Because the word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God are gifts to you and to me. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus affirms, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father. And so in troubling times and at all times, in light of God's justice, in light of his love, in light of his grace to you in Jesus Christ, seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord and live. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your, that you've ex- extended your mercy to us, like you've extended your mercy to your people through time. And that you did that for us in the person of Jesus. God become flesh. The only righteous one who died the, for our sins. The, the only one who could bear the weight of our sins and secure forgiveness for us and secure for us faith hope and love in the face of your coming return and your coming judgment. So Lord, open our hearts, Lord. Help us to receive from you. Help us to seek you in these troubling times that we may live. We pray this in your name. Amen.